and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Jackie Oatley, MBE. How are you? (laughs) Sheriff of Stafford, very well, thank you. There were eight full days between Wolves' vibrant performance against Crystal Palace and the trip to Leicester, during which time Wolves trained while Leicester played two whole matches. But it was the team in blue who looked the fresher of the two. Why was that? Was it tactical or psychological? We'll talk that through in a moment. Should Max Kilman have been penalised for handball? I had a long chat with the Premier League about this and we'll share with you what they said. Should Wolves change their formation on occasions? Would four at the back improve their attacking options? Or would hell freeze over before Nuno were to make that switch? And we'll hear from you, dear listener, about your babbies in our mailbox. And we'll conclude with any other business. Tim, how are you, pet? I'm fine. It's interesting that you brought up how fresh or refreshed, you know, certain teams were feeling because, you know, we could say the same about certain podcast hosts today. Um, I'm fine. How are you doing? It's not my, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I turned to a large bottle of red wine for the same reason that I'm guessing a lot of other Wolfrunians may well have done. It was absolutely blinking shock. And then I didn't sleep very well as a result. Awful, awful. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. Wine is the answer to almost, almost everything. Yes, I I did find the solution in there. (laughs) I couldn't think of anything else. (laughs) Now, what's this about Wolves owners saving the world, please, Tim? Yeah, good news. After after a very strange few months, Fosun have been, you know, busy sorting out a few bits and bobs here and there, and they've saved the world, so... No big deal. Wolves fans would probably prefer uh, a bit of a Molyneux expansion, but no. <laughs> they've, um, they can have a Molyneux expansion, but they're just not allowed in it until they've saved the world from COVID. Yeah, exactly. No. Um, so Fosun partnered with Pfizer, as they tweeted uh, a couple of months ago, and they are the firm that's now produced this this vaccine that I'm sure everyone's been reading about in the past 24 hours. So yeah, they, they sorted out Neto's new contract last week and they've saved the world this week what's next what is next hangover cure <laughs> uh, in fact Pete Carvel uh, one of our regular listeners has asked uh, can Wolves fans be prioritised when it comes to dishing out the Fosun vaccine um, preferably so we're all allowed back into Molyneux before January the 16th he says which is when we play a certain team from down the road yes well that is fascinating news we can't start we can't start with the with the build up on that one it's two months away there'll be a big build <laughs> yes, up to that game but yeah we all know who we're going to play we might game. mention it a week before oh just hope that we'll be in Molyneux for that and then of course uh, the return fixture is months away in May so either way you'd hope Wolves fans will be allowed in but um Come on then, let's face it. Let's face what went on at the King Power Stadium. In fact, I'll let a, a couple of Wolves fans have the first word on this particular subject. Stuart Mole, too slow, too slow at passing, too slow at moving. John Hibbs, we're not good enough to sit back and soak up pressure like that in the first 45. We got exactly what we deserved out of the game, nothing. I'd rather lose 4-3 having gone for it than that negative performance. Musings from Molyneux, it's not good enough. We allowed a Leicester team who had little intent themselves to get on top of us. And lo and behold, we succumb to our mindset. It ends with a poor refereeing decision, but it starts with our negativity. Yeah, we'll we'll focus on the refereeing decision. And of course, that was the pivotal moment of the game. But I would prefer to talk about why Wolves were so poor in that first half. And I was so excited, Jackie. I actually went to the game which is rare these days for journalists to, to go to away games, as I think I've discussed on that podcast before, but Leicester found room for me and saw firsthand the worst first half of the season for Wolves, statistically speaking. Which is saying something, um, right? <laughs> which is which is really is saying something. And it was a very confused performance, really, particularly in the first half, in which Wolves paid Leicester far too much respect, I, I felt, it kind of goes back to the fundamental principle of, of how to attack, which is quite an alarming kind of question to ask. But that's how it felt, really. You know, Wolves, Wolves know how to defend. They can do it in their sleep. They do it very well, very well. They've got this remarkable clean sheet record, 13 in 22. It's, it's stunning, really. And, you know, players can drop in and out. Kilman can come in. Saiz can come in. Saiz can play at wing back. No problem. Very sound defensively week after week. It's generally seamless and they know their roles inside out. But going forward, do they know the roles inside out going forward? Do they know which routes to goal they should be taking? You know, route, I discussed this quite a lot, really. Routes to goal, routes to goal. How, how do they work their way to the opposition goal? Is it 
Is it hitting teams on the, on the break at pace? Is it getting to the byline? Is it crosses and, and pullbacks from the byline? Or is it going through the middle, maybe intricate one-touch passing into the box? Is it set pieces? Is it long shots? I would, I would say no, because yesterday they seemed frightened to shoot on many occasions when they were just sort of around on the edge of the box. So what is their strategy to score? I think in, in the past, particularly against the big six teams, it's been very obvious how they're going to do that, and it is hitting teams on the break. But at the moment, they look a bit confused, really. Against Newcastle and Palace, their remit was was clear. You had two defensive teams that were going to sit back and try and frustrate them, so they knew what they had to do. Particularly against Palace, they did it so well, uh, flying wing-backs, essentially a second striker in Dendonka, brisk passing and overlapping. But against Leicester, they were sort of back to feeling their way into the game. In the first 10 minutes, they were in Leicester's third of the field for 3% of of that time. After the first 24 minutes, that had increased to 5% of the game in Leicester's third of the field. Oh, Jackie Oatley stunned right now. I, I love love watching Jackie on Zoom during our podcast, just the facial expressions. Yeah, 5% <laughs> in Leicester's third of the field in the first 24 minutes. So, just so you know, you're not helping my hangover. <laughs> Sorry. Just get back on the red. Come on, open a bottle. Sod mm. it. I might, unless you can solve it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Leicester were well drilled and organised. Unlike Palace, they cut the supply to the wing-backs, which is an issue Wolves always struggle with, I think, when, when a team does do that. But it made them very ponderous, very slow, anemic. Um, Neves was back to side to side. You know, I looked at his his past map, which I published in a, in a piece this morning about this horrendous first half. Neves just side to side like a rugby player, it looked like. Again, the opposite to Palace, where there were lots of through balls and diagonals from different areas of the field. This time it was mostly centre circle, side to side. Then you had Jimenez, another key player. His average position in the first half was very nearly in his own half. It was pretty much on the halfway line was his average position. It's just, it's not good enough really from an attacking point of view. So their XG, for people who are aware of XG, but for people who aren't, XG is is how many goals you're expected to score given the performance that you've given and the shots that you've had. So uh, as a sort of an idiot's guide, you know, if if somebody has a two-yard open goal in a game, they would be expected to score that. So that would be one expected goal. If they have a shot from 60 yards, that's extremely unlikely to score. So that would be an XG of 0.1, for example. So anyway, people people will know this. It's become quite a prevalent stat in the past few years, and it's a really good way of working out how well teams are doing when it comes to attacking. Wolves' XG in the first half at the King Power Stadium, bearing in mind one equals one goal, uh, their XG was 0.02. Um, that was as a result of them having one shot from 40 yards, which was blocked, Ruben Neves, just before half-time. So that's the equal joint's worst first half of any team in the Premier League this season. Um, Leicester had a, a couple of other those examples, and, and Burnley had another, I think it was. Wolves have only done worse than that once in the Premier League. That was away at Chelsea in March 2019, when they didn't have any shots at all um, in the first half at Stamford Bridge. They got a one-all draw that day. So second half was better. There was a better tempo. There were more numbers forward. Again, you look at average positions of where players were, which is something I like to do. There were six in the Leicester half, in the second half. I thought Traore helped and came on and replaced Pedence, who had a really poor game um, after his sort of heroics against Palace. Yeah, through balls. You had Dendonka running into the box for that chance. Neves sort of pinged one from 40 yards right into Dendonka's toe and he put it just wide. There was none of that in the first half. You had Traore barging. It was a great chance, that great move. Yeah, absolutely. You had Traore barging through the middle past the defender, playing a 1-2 a with Dendonka, which led to um, a Jimenez chance when he should have gone for goal. So Traore made a difference. In fact, one of our listeners, Krista, tweeted to say, should Adama start the game when we know Wolves will likely see less of the ball? And Neto or Pedence start when teams will sit deep. It seemed like Adama offered more offensively when he came on yesterday, more than Pedence and Neto. I'd agree with that. It's a good point. Traore does struggle when teams sit deep. It doesn't play to his primary strength of running past defenders. You know, West Ham squeezed in for room a few weeks ago, for example. So 1-0, it didn't really reflect Leicester's chances, to be honest. Obviously, the penalty that was saved by Patricio. You had a couple of really heroic last-ditch blocks from Bolly and Kilman in the second half. Patricio made a great save from Vardy. So there's just a frustration here with inconsistent performances. 
The results have been good recently, but not performances, and that continues. They were incredibly good against Palace for long spells, but this was the opposite, really. It was horrific in the first half, and they petered out again at the end of the game. Um, the strange substitution as well, Silva for Neto, was, was odd. No Matinho, which was very telling as well for where he is right now. First time that Matinho's not featured at all in a Premier League game. Yes, I saw that. All in all, you've got to take the standard of opposition into account. And Leicester had been on a good run and they're a very good team. We know that. But they just didn't really lay a glove on them for long spells. And it was very underwhelming seen as what we'd seen a week earlier. And what you said at the top of the show about Leicester having played two games since Wolves put in that blistering performance against Palace. So you hear players talk about how Nuno makes Wolves fearless and makes them believe that they can win every game they play. I didn't really see that against Leicester. Far too ponderous, far too slow, and ultimately they got, got what they deserved. I was noticing uh, Pedro Neto's extraordinary work rate early on in the game, and he was absolutely everywhere. It did occur to me that whilst it's admirable, is it the best use of his resources? The fact that he's chasing all over the field in a defensive capacity, and perhaps not conserving enough energy for the final third, which is where it's so desperately needed. I think it's a good point. I think he plays that role very well, um, and he's doing a good job in midfield. And I think it probably works better than the Matinho, Neves, Dendonka trio, certainly towards the end of when they were playing together. Yeah, it is, a, it is a good point. Having said that, he was still very, very dangerous in the opposition third yesterday. And I was really surprised when he was when he was taken off, actually, because Silva came on and just... He still only had one shot, though, and that was straight down the throat of Schmeichel, wasn't it? So you say he was all over the place, he was very positive, but where's the cutting edge? Where is the cutting edge? I mean, you looked at Raul and he was... You just mentioned his, his heat map and, it, you know, seriously hot in the centre circle yeah. and in full-back positions and out wide. But he gave an interview to Wolves TV. Sort of, He wasn't critical, but he was just suggesting the chances are hard to come by, which anybody with a, you know, a set of eyes is able to see that Wolves just aren't creating anything. And it has to be said that Leicester were without both of their first-choice wing-backs. They had 19-year-old Luke Thomas in. They didn't have Timothy Castagna, who's a Belgium international. They didn't have Ricardo Pereira, who's one of the very, very best right wing backs in the whole of Europe. And you wonder why not start Adama Traore against this 19-year-old who's only started a couple of Premier League games this season now. Yeah, absolutely. And why not take the game to, to Leicester, fundamentally? Why are you starting the game um, in submission, really? And, and sort of sitting back and feeling out the opposition when the last thing Leicester would have wanted is to Wolves to take the game with, with, with Traore and Pedence, I would guess, if I was Brendan Rodgers. Um, I'd be happy for Wolves to kind of sit back and assess the situation and feel their way into a game and not have a shot until the 46th minute. It kind of played into their hands, really. And like, yeah, they were better after the break, but it was it was too little too late, really. And I think Leicester probably could and would have won the game by more goals. So it just kind of makes me think, did the wins over Fulham and Leeds and Palace paper over the cracks? Or are Wolves just not showing us how, how good they are at the moment and still kind of suffering this hangover from last season and, and no pre-season, etc.? I think it probably is the latter, but they've got a very tough run of fixtures coming up. Very tough. They've got Southampton at home, Arsenal away, Liverpool away, Villa at home and Chelsea at home. Now that's four out of the next five games are against teams in the top five. Now that's almost as it's almost as tough as it gets the toughest it could get would be the, to play the top five in the next five games they're playing four of the top five then they've got Burnley away then they've got Spurs and Man United to finish the year so there's no respite there that's a tough run however they've risen to the big occasion against better teams many many times before into Nuno now they've got to do it again. I should also say that in that Leicester game, though without Ndidi in midfield and Soyuncu in defence, but they had this wonderful 19-year-old who we mentioned on the pod last week, Wesley Fofana. He was absolutely outstanding in central defence. Um, but, he, you know, he was, and full credit oh, to him. Brilliant. But I listened to Brendan Rodgers' press conference afterwards and also listened to the BBC Radio Leicester post-match chat in which they were saying how well the Leicester defence had done coping with Adama Traore in, in the however many minutes he was on the pitch and they just managed to see out the game. And you can't help but think, if that's the opposition's view of Adama Traore, then what about their view when they see his name on the team sheet to start rather than just riding it out the last few minutes 
and you know sticking two men on him and, and forcing him towards the corner flag why not give him something of a freer role which we've touched on before and start him and just let him cause all the havoc that he did for Spain when he started against them in the last international break yeah you're right and we spoke about Traore last week and you know if you were going to sell Traore or Jota in the summer should it have been Traore looking at it now with the formation Wolves are playing and with the fact he's not starting it's a valid argument you don't need to go over that again but although I completely um, disagree with you but hey <laughs> I completely disagree with you and Dave, Dave Edwards totally respect your views and we did get a lot of feedback on that some very angry Molyneux view listeners on that particular front but because you do need the likes of Adama Traore even if he's not starting in the moment doesn't mean he won't start next time no I agree and you know for the record, I think the Jota sale was still a very, very good one at, at, at the right time and for the fantastic amount of money. You know, just because he's scoring goals for fun now doesn't mean he's going to be doing the same in a few weeks' time. Great deal at that time. But with Traore, the pertinent point to make with Traore is how good he was for Spain. And he was he changed the game against Portugal. I know it was only a sub- substitute cameo, but he was brilliant that day. Spanish press raving about him, by the way. There's quite a few editorial pieces written about that time saying he's massive part of the future of the Spanish national team and then he played against I think they lost to Ukraine their first defeat in two years and it was generally considered that he was still the only positive on the field so he's doing that for Spain um, and then he comes back and he's on the bench at Wolves and it's it's just very confusing he's obviously not necessarily out of form because he's gone away with Spain and played so well so why not try and get the best out of him and you're right Teams should be fearing Wolves. Wolves have finished seventh two seasons in a row. They've got to a Europa League quarterfinal, FA Cup semi-final. They've got one of the most explosive, unique and difficult to defend against players in European football. And he's on the bench. So they changed formation last season to accommodate Traore. They went 3-5-2 to 3-4-3 so that they could play Traore and Doherty in the same team because he was couldn't get them both in the same team for a little while. Maybe it's time to do that again because they need something different. They're not scoring enough goals, they're not creating enough chances, and they're making it too easy for the opposition. I think Traore is is a massive part of trying to change that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now, we've managed to get this far without going to detail about the Max Kilman penalty concession. Uh, I thought it was quite amusing afterwards when Brendan Rodgers was asked about it in his press conference and he said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Funny that, on account of it being exceptionally harsh. Now, never mind our opinions on whether you think it's a, a fair decision. Oh, come on, did he mean it or not? It's, what's the law? What's the law? And was it correctly applied? That's really what matters, trying to take the emotion out of everything. Now, the law says it's a penalty if the hand or arm has made their body unnaturally bigger. Well, his elbow was tucked in and his hand was out because he was running. So it wasn't an unnatural motion at all. He was running, looking to the right because a cross was about to come in from three point four yards away, according to Match of the Day 2. Or if the hand or arm is above and beyond their shoulder level, which it absolutely wasn't. It was close to his body. Now, PGMOL, when I spoke to them, they said it could have gone either way. Reading between the lines, I got the vibe they felt it was pretty harsh. It is, of course, a subjective decision, which is why the referee, Anthony Taylor, went over to look at the monitor. Initially, it wasn't given as a penalty by Anthony Taylor and his assistant. You could see clearly mouthing. It did hit his arm. It did hit his arm as if to say, well, there is a decision to make a subjective one as to whether you think that it contravened the laws of the game. VAR say that he was shown the slow-mo so that he could determine the point of contact, not necessarily whether it was a, you know, how quickly it happened, what have you. They wanted to determine the, the point of contact, which is why Anthony Taylor first looked at it or only looked at it very, very slowly, which, as many have pointed out, it seemed an unfair way of looking at it because it didn't give you... So he didn't... Forgive me because I didn't, I, didn't um, I didn't have a TV screen where I sat, so he didn't watch it at all in real time? No. He only watched it a couple of times in slow-mo and you could see that from the camera angle. And VAR Stuart Atwell who is known for seeing things that aren't there, such as a goal in the Watford-Reading game. Um, No comment. He deemed it enough 
of an error to urge the referee, Anthony Taylor, to go over and have a look at the monitor, which is what the referees are urged to do more often, which is good because you want them to make their own decision, having seen it again. But how is it enough of an error? Sorry, just to go back to what you were saying earlier about it's a decision that can go either way. So how is it that much of an error to then go through that process? Well, exactly. So it's Stuart Atwell's decision that it was worth the referee looking at it again. So it's supposed to be a clear and obvious error for him to even get the exactly. referee. Exactly. So he's, the way it was explained to me was that he's judged that the referee can't have seen it properly and that with the help of the assistant saying it did hit his arm. But don't forget, the assistant did not flag the penalty even though mm-hmm. he saw it yeah. hit his even arm. Even though he saw it hit his arm. Because we all yeah. saw him. I didn't, I didn't worry at all. I thought, well, there's no way that's penalty, no, both in real time and on replays and when he went over. I genuinely thought this is not going to be given because there's no way it contravenes the laws of it being an unnatural position. And also, had his arm, had he not been running with his arms like that, then had Dennis Pratt have turned back in field, then Kilman would have been completely imbalanced and it would have been an easy ball to put into the box. So, And it wasn't as if it was just shot at goal. It was across from very short distance um so yes it was deemed that it could have gone either way and sky showed a replay of uh, one of the senior referees neil swarbrick who's in charge there going into the office and having that conversation they didn't say that he told him he got it wrong he said oh no it's just common for him to go in and have a conversation with the, the var and, but you could see from the TV pictures, which you probably won't have seen, that he was debating whether they, it was a natural motion. And I think most people watching that would suggest it was a natural motion by Kilman. It was only Roy Keane from the three pundits who said, oh, it's a penalty. I don't think it should be, but it is a well, penalty in the laws. Yeah. But according to the laws of the game, you have to make up your own mind as to whether you think that was. And the fact that it could have gone either way, this is my point to PGMOL, that the fact that, well, you know, it could have gone either way. Well, should you then hand a free shot from 12 yards to an informed striker at a goalkeeper on the basis of a decision that could easily have gone either way? And now Leicester are top of the table. Regardless of the rest of the performance, we're not talking about that. We're talking purely about the decision here. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, and that's, that's a fantastic explanation, um, which shows up the flaws of the system. Um, and I'm also, you know, grateful for you for phoning the PGMOL after after three Jaeger bombs last night and having a rant down the phone. And it's, <laughs> I hope you gave him what for. <laughs> I kept it very professional, I'd like to say. <laughs> In terms of the second one, Ryan Aitnori nailed on penalty. Well, at least, at least, bless him, he led us to avoid all this kind of, you know, speculation and arguments about whether what was right and wrong by such a horrendous foul that uh, was really not open to interpretation whatsoever. Bless him. Yeah, we we praised him to the hilt as the second coming last week, but yeah, he had a bad performance and it was no surprise to see him substituted. I don't think we quite said he was the second coming. I mean, Nuno said that he had plenty to work on. His communication, which I thought was in evidence when there was a ball in towards far post and he and Raul got in each other's way and I thought if his English was spot on, he'd have said whatever he had to say to make it clear that Raul would leave it for him. So that's probably an example of what Nuno's referring to about learning English quickly and communicating quickly on the field. Um, but his performance overall, Tim? Um, not not great. Um, defensively, not bad, apart from a couple of a couple of obvious errors, but lacking going forward, really. I stuck out a tweet early in the second half after he'd had two opportunities, two free opportunities to cross the ball with his left foot with no pressure from the defence and neither ball beat the first man and you know the amount of attacks Wolves were having wasn't many so it was a real wasted opportunity to get the ball in the box and we know he's supposed to be quite good at crossing so I stuck out a tweet saying you need more from him and a few people kind of said come on give him a break he's a kid Wolves can't afford passengers really especially when you've got Fernando Marcel on the bench um, or Pedro Neto could maybe play there in an attacking formation so if he's, if, he's, if he's not going to do the basics right of crossing then you know you've got to say maybe look at something else for time being if he's going to have these inconsistent performances. The lack of causing the opposition to foul them inside the penalty area, to put it as bluntly as possible. I mean, Leicester City have played the same number of games. They've now been awarded eight penalties in eight Premier League games, nine in all competitions. Brendan Rodgers was asked by our colleague on The Athletic, uh, Rob Tanner, who was on this pod last week, about that and he said oh we win all the penalties because we're aggressive in attack we arrive in the box and we provoke defenders we attack and penalties arrive from that now you gave the stats earlier tim that wolves do 
anything but that, or at least they did in this match and in the Leeds first half and elsewhere. Wolves have had one penalty in all competitions since January. In all competitions, think how many games they've played. Pedence won that one very skillfully against Everton just before half-time. They went on to win 3-0. Manchester United have scored five penalties this season. They scored 18 last season and they also missed a few as well, haven't they? But it just does show you how many points, including Leicester, on Sunday are up for grabs from winning penalties, from being quick, nimble-footed in the box. And I know we're repeating ourselves from last week, but it's so, so evident in Wolves' play and lack of dynamism in the box, surely. It's it's like a free hit at goal from 12 yards to state the flame well, obvious. Getting into the box. To win a penalty, you've got to be inside the penalty area. And Wolves are the 18th or 18th in the league when it comes to getting balls into the box this season. They just It just does not happen that often. And I would just point out, they did have the Jimenez penalty against Sevilla for the Europa League quarterfinal. Oh, yes. So two in all competitions since January. But yeah, um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a weakness, but they don't find themselves in the box as often as other teams, period, full stop. And their main striker, their only striker, is often not in the box himself. So yeah, that's going to lead to, to, um, to a lack of penalties. You see it time and again, they pass the ball around the edge of the box sometimes frightened to shoot but yeah those one-twos that we saw so often in the championship and on on occasions in the past couple of seasons in the Premier League to get themselves into the box are just just lacking so so the penalties nothing new there Um, What do we read into the fact that Moutinho hasn't featured in a Premier League game for the first time since he joined from Monaco in 2018 is he going to feature as frequently as he has previously or is it going to be a different role for him now this season? Influence is waning and we've discussed in the last couple of podcasts, the influence of Dendonka, on the other hand, and how he's undroppable at the moment and indispensable, and how great Neves was against against Crystal Palace. So at the moment, he's, he's third choice. And when it came to making substitutions yesterday, the first was Traore for Pedence, which felt like an obvious one. The second was Marcel for Aitnori. Again, with Aitnori seeing a lot of the ball on the left and not doing much with it, that felt like an obvious one to me as well, because he just wasn't having a great game. The third one was, was a bit weird, but he obviously felt he wanted to get Fabio Silva on. There were more balls coming into the box at this point and they were trying to do more on set pieces. So he wanted Fabio Silva on the field instead of Matinho. So if you look at each substitution individually, in terms of who came on, it sort of made sense at that moment in time. So maybe we shouldn't look too much into it, but it's just another sign of the waning influence of, of, of Jan Matinho. Fabio Silva, so he came on in the 79th minute... Your thoughts on him? Oh, wow. Um, oh, I mean, he's not doing much. Um, okay, he's only getting a few minutes at the end of games. But whenever he's got the ball at his feet, I mean, he doesn't look like a £35 million footballer. And I know he's not one. And I know that Wolves have paid over the odds for him at this moment in time in the belief that he will become a very good player in the next two years. And they're not expecting him to do much this season. Taking all that into account, when it comes to showing what he can, showing us what he can do in ten minutes of football, he's 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 not doing much really. But his technique sort of looks off to me, and he's hasn't really got much rhythm when he's linking up with his teammates. How can he get rhythm when he's getting one minute at the end of games or ten minutes? I mean, no, I know, no, exactly, mm-hmm. and not, but not on their wavelength. But he's struggling to make any kind of impact at, at, at the moment, and. It's going to be an interesting season for him going forward. And the longer that he doesn't sort of play as much or make an impact or score, then that 35 million price tag is just going to hang heavy around his head. And it's going to be brought up a lot. It is. That's that's just the fact of the matter that he was, when he was signed, Wolves his record signing. And if he's going to go through the season without without scoring or maybe just scoring one or two goals, then people are going to say, people are going to say he's an expensive flop. Now, Wolves have got to hold firm on that. And Fabio Silva's got to ignore all that and know that they've bought him for the future and they hope that him training with Jimenez and being coached by Nuno will make him a better player in the years to come but for the here and now yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dicey situation because of the price tag and because of the fact he's not playing a lot or not contributing Brendan Rodgers had a bit of a dig afterwards. He said, when you think they had a boy on the bench they paid £35 million for, it's about value for money. I presume that was in relation to Wesley Fofana, who looked outstanding at the age of 19. But you've got to be careful because he is so young. I mean, 18 is a baby. He's barely able to vote. 
and can't even drive, can't drive a lorry. Yeah, <laughs> do have to be careful about putting so much pressure on him. He only started one league game for Porto and scored one league goal for them, made eleven substitute appearances. And since he's been at Wolves, yes, he had that ninety minutes against Stoke, which I thought was a real shame. They went for out the, players, the league cup. Absolutely. I know Nuno doesn't that fussed about it but you know John Ruddy how how fed up must he be I mean loads of players who are not going to get any minutes with Wolves going straight out so we played 90 minutes there and he played 13 at home to Man City 29 minutes off the bench in the debacle at West Ham one minute against Palace and 12 minutes against Leicester so he's not going to get any rhythm is he and neither is he going to be starting instead of Raul so How's it going to pan out? I know, but you just want you want to see nice touches and nice movement and nice little link-up play or maybe that header he had will be a bit closer to dropping in the net because he missed it by, you know, a decent distance. Little things like that. So th- there is room for improvement from him, even if he's only coming off for five minutes because he's, he's got to offer a little bit more, hasn't he? Tom Martin asks, who scores more goals this season, Jota or the combined total of Neto, Pedence, Triori and Fabio Silva? Pedence, Neto and Triori are not natural goal scorers and young Fabio couldn't hit a cow's bottom. We didn't replace Jota's goals. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll just come back to that Brenda Rogers point quickly. He's saying 35 for Fabio Silva. I mean, they had Ian Acho on the bench for 25 million. Uh, he, he didn't play or score for them. I thought that was a bit, bit cheeky and unnecessary dig from a manager who should know better. Um, it's just, just uncalled for, really. He's so good with youth players. Normally, yeah, he's just uncalled he? for. No, yeah, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a decent point. But Liverpool will score an awful lot of goals and create a lot more chances. And Liverpool have already been in the box twice as often as Wolves have this season already, after, what, seven games, in terms of instances of touching the ball in the penalty area. Liverpool done it twice more than Wolves. Wolves are about 100. Liverpool are about 200-odd already. So Joss is going to get more chances and score more goals. We can't fixate on that this season. Yeah, question from Scott Hamilton Cooper on that front. With lots said of the benefit of a less congested fixture list, is the lack of games actually more of a hindrance when trying to change styles? We seem anecdotally poorer after long breaks. Also, how harmful was the League Cup defeat for the progress of fringe players such as Silver, etc.? Yeah, we, we've touched on that, and, he, and, he, and he's absolutely right. And yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen them come firing out the out the blocks yesterday, but it, it looks. They looked tired in the opening 20 minutes. I'm sure they weren't tired, but that's how it looked. So um, it's obviously the approach that the manager the manager took. It's just one that didn't work. Going back to the formation situation, we have had a, a few tweets from people suggesting Wolves switch to a back four, which could potentially give them more options in attack. Could even be that maybe the likes of Vitinha might be able to come in and <laughs> might even get on the bench. Um, but what what do you think of that? Have you... Have you jotted down a, a potential starting 11 and do you think Nuno would consider it because it's not as if he hasn't used it in his career before he did use it at Valencia before coming to Wolves I have considered it and I have written down a team but I think it's folly and I think there's absolutely no way that it'll happen because it's ripping up the rule book and starting again and Nuno's the opposite of that and I think it'd be he'd leave himself open to huge criticism if he did that if they changed formations before at the back and, start, and started losing every week it's um you could say the opposite. You could say it might open them up a bit more in attack, but I just I'd be very surprised that their major, given their major strength is their is their defensive um, rigidity, that he would go and rip up their defensive formation and, and start a game with four at the back, and the players they brought in are tailored to what he plays. So, however, just for fun, uh, if they were to play a four four two, then I would say they would have um, Samedo at right back, Marcel at left back, and Bolly and Cody as a back two. And then you've got Neves and Dendonka in the middle and Neto on the left for me. And to be fair, if they were going to change to 4-4-2, then they would become the Adama Traore team because that is his position and that is where he causes the most carnage. Um, so he would fit quite nicely in his perfect role as right winger. Um, and then Pedence floating around Jimenez up front, I think. I mean, teams do switch formations within games, let alone game to game. I mean, should Wolves not Absolutely. be able to do that? I mean, they've got all this time in the training ground now. Is that not one of the one of the strings that could be added to the bow to make them less predictable and maybe a little bit more effective going forward? It could, it could in theory, and and a lot of managers do that. I just, I just don't see Nuno doing it, given his track record and given the 
given how they know this formation off by hand and off by heart, I just I just don't see it happening. Okay, what about Neves from Ben Stack? Um, Palace aside, Neves rarely influences games and hasn't in a long time. He used to be far too good for us and I really feared him leaving every window. But as he maybe hasn't pushed on as expected and Wolves have overachieved, are he and the club now at about the same level? His role has changed since they won promotion to the Premier League and, and he's sort of sacrificed some of his strengths for the team. And he has become better defensively. You know, his, his tackling's pretty good. His positional awareness is good. He can get sprinted past, as we saw yesterday on a couple of occasions. But, you know, he's not the most quickest or the most agile. So that's always going to happen. If you put Nevers in Man City's team, or certainly the Man City team of two years ago, where you've got Sterling and Sané and Aguero and Silva all ahead of you, I think he looks like one of the best midfielders in the world because his vision is incredible. And we saw that in the championship days when he would splice teams apart. Uh, it was sort of death by a thousand cuts with these magnificent passes that he would play, intersecting defenders, spotting runs before players had even made them. He he can do that. He did that in the championship. And I think, yeah, if he were to play for a, a more open attacking team who, re- who relied on having kind of quarterbacks to play these probing passes, he's a perfect fit for that. The Wolves aren't that team at the moment. But... Pff, he can still do great things, and he still did against against Palace uh, last week. I thought he was magnificent. He's happy. He's settled. He's a lovely guy. Very nice family. Um, enjoys working under Nuno, and I think that's a good thing. He's, he's he's here to stay. And as this Wolves team evolves, he can stay in it and he can thrive. And that's that's a great that's a great thing to have. Richard, Wolves are crying out for an attacking midfielder when the flanks are not an attacking option. Can you rank Shabani, Vitinha, Jordao and Gibbs-White as best performers in this role? How likely is it that Vitinha or Shabani will be included in first-team squads this season? I mean, Vitinha's just out, out of the reckoning at the moment and off now with Portugal under-21s where he, where he did well a couple of weeks ago and scored that fabulous goal that was, that was, that was tweeted out. Shabani... I mean, he looked good at the start of last season for the under twenty threes. Couple of first team appearances. I think he'd be. I think he'd be in and around the squad now if Nuno rated him. To be honest, you know, he's not young, young. I think he's like he's about twenty years old. So, and Gibbs White was looking great at Swansea. I went down. We went down there to see him, and he's got a new lease of life. And hopefully, a year under his belt will do him the world of good. But now he's obviously got this ankle injury, and he's and he's out for three months. So, the chances of any of those players making it into the Wolves team are pretty slim, really. Vettini is the most likely, since as as he comes with his £20 million price tag, but he's not on the bench at the moment. And whenever you ask Nuno about him, he sort of clams up, really, and, and doesn't really want to talk about it. So that's one to keep an eye on, because it seems like a talented lad who can offer Wolves something different. The position's an issue as well. We've talked about Morgan Gibbs-White many times on this pod, but, I mean, where would he even fit in to this current system? Hence the question about whether Wolves could be a bit more flexible in their formations. Yeah, you're right, and that's the problem that Morgan had Gibbs White in that he didn't, he doesn't really fit into a two in midfield necessarily, and he looked like a bit of a fish out of water as a wide forward. That's why Swansea is such a perfect move for him because he's sort of playing in a false nine slash roaming position, free roll really. He was popping up here, there, and everywhere. Perfect for him, free reign of of that line between forward and midfield. That's exactly where you want Gibbs White to be. Wolves don't do that as much, so unless Nuno's going to have a change of approach, then those players that that have just been mentioned don't really naturally fit in. Guy Walding has nailed it. Given the swing from we're the best team ever to we're a shambles on a game-to-game basis, should analysis only be on a three to five game average? Want to do us out of a job, we're going to do a pod every month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, there is a bit There is a bit of that. I've noticed that. Obviously, I've, I keep a close eye on Twitter for my job on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. And... You notice different trends and different moods and whatever. And yeah, this since lockdown, I have noticed a veering of opinion from one extreme to the other from day to day during the transfer window of this is this is an amazing squad. No, we're 10 players short to, yeah, game to game, shambles one week, very good team the next. Um, I think that's sort of... Because people are at home, they're not at the games, and they're probably a bit bored, and they just sat there wanting to be entertained. You know, we've touched on this before. It's different when you're at the game and you can have a bit of a sing song and vent your frustrations out and have a shout and a rant, and then maybe you get home and you think about it and you choose not to put it out in the public domain. Um, whereas now you just sat at home and it's easy just to kind of tweet that. So I think that's maybe what leads to these more varied opinions. But also there is an inconsistency in Wolves' performances. So 
to Guy, I would say um, performances haven't been great this season and they've only played well in one game against Palace and for spells in other games. So I think we're right to laud them for their results, but also right to question how well they're playing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Dave, what a load of nonsense people write. Better start than last year. Difficult circumstances. He didn't say nonsense though, did he? Because I saw that tweet earlier. <laughs> you know, I changed it to nonsense to make sure I didn't say what a load of bull. <laughs> da dash. You're so professional. You're so professional. I love swearing. We're you always before that. the watershed on this, on this podcast. What a load of... People write, a better start than last year, <laughs> difficult circumstances, new players betting in, defence okay, yes, major concern is we need more goals. No need to panic, says Dave. And it still has to be said to him, this is Wolves' best start to a top flight season since the 1970s. Yeah, absolutely right. The results have been very good. Like I said, it's just it's just the performances. You know, we didn't enjoy that 1-0 win over Fulham. Uh, they were terrible away at Leeds in the first half, but somehow managed to, to win that game. So it's just warning signs. And there is this horrendous run of fixtures coming up. And if they take that form into those games against the top five, then it will be doom and gloom in a few weeks' time. It will. However, like I said, I would, I would back them to be better against the big boys. We've just got to hope that they deliver. Damn, you make some good points. It's really annoying. Um... <laughs> Owen Otisawi, you write some good articles as well. And this young American lad, very, very interesting prospect who's off now on international duty. Tell us a little bit about him. Oh, by the way, people can access that article for just a pound a week. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and uh, you can subscribe there for a pound a week and read all about this young man. So he's got an interesting backstory. Not... Not dissimilar to Max Kilman in that he hasn't come through an academy as a kid. You know, he didn't join a Premier League club aged eight or whatever and, and come through the academy that way. He actually only got into football when he was sort of 13, 14. That's when he first started playing it, which is very late. Um, he only moved to this country as a lad. He was born in America, moved to London as a kid. He's got family over here, aunties and uncles, I think. His mom's still back home in America. And then, yeah, got picked up by an academy called the Mass Elite Academy who are based in Battersea, and they kind of take young players and train them with the hope of getting them a move to a club, basically. And they kind of arrange friendlies against academies to showcase the talent they've got. And one of those was against Wolves. And Wolves liked what they saw, and they picked him up. Um, they liked what they saw primarily because of his physicality. He's very tall. He's, he's 5'11", even though he's kind of 15, 16. He's now up to six two or 3". Or four, I think he's 6'4", he's slightly taller than me, I remember remember noting. Um, And he's been a midfielder by trade since he got into football. Wolves tried him in defence last season when he first kind of came to prominence to probably a few Wolves fans in the under-23s. But he's back in midfield now. That's what America have called him up as. A tall, driving midfielder with good technical skills and a good passing range. Um, it sounds a little bit different to what Wolves have got already, really. I kind of put to Scott Sellers when I spoke to him that maybe he's a bit like uh, Leander Dendonka, a physical midfielder. So he's not, no, not really. He's more of a very good technical passer and likes to drive past midfielders. Can always find his way out of trouble in a tight spot, he said, which is a lot to do with him kind of training in cages in London. So, um, so yeah, for, I had a really good chat with Scott. Nuno also spoke about him as well. And I spoke to someone from the Mass Elite Academy, which is where Otisari had comes from um so you can read all that in the article um i should also point out uh this kid is a model um he's modeled on the london um catwalk for burberry he's got his own um professional model profile page which is interesting haven't we all jackie <laughs> but yeah so is he um, wow. <laughs> so um he's an interesting character he's moved up to wolverhampton on his own um and he's done very well in the academy and they like him he He'll tell you what he thinks. He seems like quite a, um, not spiky, but, you know, forthright he'll character. disagree with managers and, and, and give it forthright and give his opinion. They like that about him. And they think he's got a really big future in the game. Really exciting. Really exciting. So, yeah, do make sure you have a read of that. Talking of international duty, though, Tim, please explain to us who's going off and where, because there's going to be a few air miles being done during this pandemic, and some of them for friendlies, which Owen's not, which Nuno's not happy about. Well, I, no one's happy about this, really, except for the international managers. There are a glut of friendlies over the next couple of weeks, which is just ludicrous to me at, at this time with this fixture congestion and with this lack of international travel for extremely 
obvious reasons why they're shoehorning in extra friendly games. Anyway, they're there. Um, just to run through who's been called up then, there's quite a few. Portugal, obviously, um, Patricio, Semedo, Matinho, Neves and Neto, who got his first call-up. Great news for him. They've got three games. Um, Andorra, they, so they play Andorra in a friendly. I mean, are you kidding? Who's going to learn anything from that? Portugal Seriously. against Andorra. What the hell? And then a couple of games in the um, Nations League, France and Croatia. Vitinha, as mentioned earlier, he's been called up to the under-21s. Now, this might be good news, actually. Fabio Silva was going to the under-20s for a training camp, but that's been cancelled, according to Portugal's website. So I'm assuming, and I'll check, that he'll be at Compton for the next couple of weeks, which I think is probably a good thing. Dendonka for Belgium. They've got Everyone's got three games, unless stated. Uh, Traore for Spain. They play Netherlands in a friendly and then Switzerland and Germany. So good games for him to be involved in. Absolutely. Um, Raul Jimenez has been called up for Mexico. They played Japan. Well, it looks good. like on the fixture list they played that. Japan away. Mm-hmm. Thank the Lord above it's been played in Austria. So he's got two games against South Korea and Japan. Both been played in Austria for reasons I do not know. Now, the long trips. So Willy Bolly has decided he wants to play for Ivory Coast. He was called up by them last year and turned them down. He's now officially switched his international allegiance from France to Ivory Coast. At his age, I'm guessing he's thinking he's not going to get a France call-up now and he quite fancies international football. African Cup of Nations is in about 14 months' time in early 2022. Not great news for Wolves, I would say, especially the fact that on Tuesday night he'll be in Madagascar, which is an 11-hour flight from London direct. So that's Tuesday. So he'll get back Thursday, cream crackered. But hey, that's what they've got. A great squad, by the way. Lots of very talented players. So they'll have wow. um, they'll have eyes on a, having a decent World Cup in a couple of years as well. Um, Saïs as well is going far. He's going to the Central African Republic. Morocco play them home and away. Ike Nori's away with France under twenty ones. Otasawi is with the USA, but he's not going to USA. They play Wales away and then Panama in Austria as well. Austria is where it's at for international friendlies. Which leaves a few at Compton. They are John Ruddy, Kiana Hoover, Max Kilman, Fernando Marsal, Daniel Pedence, who hasn't been called up by Portugal this time, and Fabio Silva. Right, so not a lot of players for Nuno to um, train with. And now Wolves are at home to Southampton next. Now, as we sit here on Monday afternoon, that is currently a three o'clock kickoff in a couple of weeks. I checked with the Premier League as to whether that's going to move and they suggested it probably would, bearing in mind it's going to be shown on TV and I asked about whether it's going to be pay-per-view because 3pm ones tend to be. And they wouldn't commit to saying anything other than the fact that they put out a statement saying shareholders discuss the broadcast options of non-UK live matches from round nine onwards, which follows the international break later this month. Discussions with all stakeholders are ongoing and a broadcast solution will be announced in due course. So they wouldn't say any more, understandably, though we'd have loved an exclusive, but it does sound as though the pay-per-view situation hasn't gone particularly well and there's been such a backlash to it that they're potentially going to scrap it maybe certainly on the back burner for now and and looks like with the backlash that they've received they're looking to try and do another uh, come up with another model but as you say that hasn't been done yet and there are fixtures two weeks away so they've, they've got to get a move on they have. And on that front, Wolves fans who didn't pay the £14.95 for the Crystal Palace game, um, I did because I needed to know what I was talking about on this pod. Um, but some fabulous, fabulous work has gone on in raising money for Wolverhampton Food Banks, Tim. Yeah, so around £10,000 has been raised for The Well in Wolverhampton, uh, a campaign led by Kim Smith and an awful lot of fans have got involved and donated. Hashtag boycott PPV. Um, hashtag charity not PPV the kind of slogans which a lot of fans have got have got behind and we've seen clubs up and down the country do this hundreds of thousands of pounds being raised for charity via this um, and sent a very strong message to the Premier League and, and to broadcasters that people think this is just far too much money to, to pay for games they were getting for free a few weeks earlier So well done to all the people who've raised money for Wolverhampton Food Banks. Excellent stuff. And congratulations to the Wolves women coach, Dan McNamara, for winning the FA Women's National League Manager of the Month Award for October. They have had a blistering start to the season. Unfortunate that their games are having to be paused for the time being, but hopefully they'll come back just as strong and keep up their winning run. We are going to be back next week, Tim. But in the meantime, people may have a 
thirst for more Wolves content before we come back next Tuesday. And I'd urge people to check back through the annals of our Marley New View podcast, because we only started doing this in January, but we've packed in quite a lot, despite the fact that there was lockdown. And do you want to tell me what your favourite pods were that you think people might want to have a little listen back to? Well, we've attracted, you know, a lot of new listeners. Welcome in the past uh, few weeks and months. And yeah, they might, might not have noticed that during the summer, we uh, tried to entertain people by running what I'm going to call the Molyneux View interview series, where we got a host of um, uh, ex-players and, and managers and staff onto our little old podcast for a little chat. And yeah, we thoroughly enjoyed doing that. And um, they're all still there to listen to. My favourites, and it's hard to pick really. I mean, this, get, getting Steve Morgan on the pod was was a massive a massive uh, draw and you know, he, doesn't do, he doesn't do um <laughs> he doesn't do interviews uh so yeah it was great to get him on and hear his insight from his uh ownership of wolves we had kevin thelwell on as well um who's of course now with new york red bulls we had him on in june episode 21 on your apple podcast list uh steve morgan episode was number 13 by the way these are all kind of groups between march and june all these interviews we ran and another one which sort of went a little bit maybe unnoticed at the time was Andrew Findlay, um, Wolves' analyst, who gave us a really interesting insight into into how that works. It's not a topic that's very well covered in the media, but it's very important to football clubs and very important to managers. So he was great. He was on the bully when we had bully as well, which is episode 15. I loved the episode 12, the Connor Cody interview. We had him on our pod during lockdown. Oh, great. Just was so Connor Cody. It was wonderful. Do have listened back to that from the 21st of March. Episode 17, John Goff, who's the director of the club. Yes. Massive yeah. lifelong Wolves fan. Brilliant to hear what it's like being a director of the club that he supports and also what it's like being behind the scenes, going to other clubs and what it was like in the stands in his day. May the 5th, that was. And finally, Mickey Stowell, who was one of my heroes yes. growing up yes. on the South Bank Terraces. One. Episode 18 from the 12th of May. We got Mickey, Mickey stole in our goal. He was so good. Do tell your mates about the podcast, by the way. Not everybody's on Twitter. So we tell people on Twitter that we're on. But if you've got friends via message boards or um, in other countries or anybody who's not on social media, do please pass on the message that we are here and we would love to hear your views. Do please continue to review us on iTunes, but you can listen on all podcast platforms and do look out for Tim's article on set pieces this week that will be very interesting because Wolves perhaps have a little bit of work to do there although they won't be doing anything during the international break unfortunately we'll be back next Tuesday on your regular podcast platform subscribe now for a pound a week go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod and you can listen to us via the app without any adverts as well just go to the Wolves app download that make sure you're a subscriber and listen to any of the Athletic podcasts with no adverts. We'll be back with you next Tuesday morning. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.